Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey revisiting 80s movies is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Jason, I'd like to join you, but I have class tonight. No? No, well, how about tomorrow night? I have class then, too. I'll tell you what, Bill. Why don't you call me sometime when you have no class? Listeners, this is our second movie of our back-to-back-to-school miniseries. Both of the movies we are discussing deal with returning to school. The first movie was the 1982 musical Grease 2. This week, we'll be discussing, with spoilers aplenty, Back to School from 1986, starring Rodney Dangerfield, Sally Kellerman, and Keith Gordon, directed by Alan Metter. This movie is rated PG-13 with a running time of one hour and 36 minutes. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Rodney Dangerfield takes on academia and comes up with straight A's in this blockbuster comedy about college, co-eds, and capitalism. Rodney's in top form as self-made millionaire Thornton Mellon. When he discovers his son plans to drop out of college, Thornton enrolls in the same university to set a good example. Never mind that he's never finished high school. If there's one thing he has learned, it's money gets you just about anything. And he sets out to prove it with a vengeance. Co-starring Sally Kellerman as a sexy English professor, Burt Young as Rodney's muscle-bound sidekick, and Ned Beatty as a school administrator who salivates over Rodney's bankroll. Back to school is hilarious proof that even Rodney can get a little respect. He just has to buy it. Back to school. Registration starts Friday at theaters everywhere. We're doing back to school, man. Yep. Kids are going back to school. So we decided we should do back to school. It's about that time. Yep. All right. So uh, that was what's on the box. And let's move on to our earliest memories. What are some of our earliest memories of back to school? Jason, as always, start us off. I will. Thanks, Bill Bant. Oh, man, I was looking forward to doing this one. This is a feel good movie for me. And I remember seeing this in the theater with my family and simply enjoying the movie experience, man. It was simple. It's just simple, fun, total. Like I said, feel good. That's it. That's what you go to the movies for most of the time. It's about escaping for a couple of hours. In this case, only about an hour and a half. You have a few laughs and you come out feeling better. That's back to school. Pretty much brainless comedy. Look, I do remember associating this with Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which had come out just two days prior to this in the month of June in 1986. So I always kind of, in my memory, packaged them together. It's like a package deal. For me of the greatest feel-good school movies. I mean, I was only in grade school when these came out, but they made me feel like there was definitely fun to be had with the school experience, or at least fun to look forward to as I would go on to high school and college. And that was the great thing about these coming-of-age high school movies in the 80s was if, you know, I was stuck in the doldrums, whatever I hated school, this lifted my spirits in regards to how I viewed school a little bit. Can't Buy Me Love, Summer School, Three O'Clock High, Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, Bill and Ted's, that's just scratching the surface. But I'll move on to, of course, the number one earliest memory. It's all about Rodney Dangerfield. Man, an all-timer, an all-star, stand-up comedian, one of one, known for so much, but the one-liners, of course, they are unassailable. 
you know what? I don't believe I'd actually seen Caddyshack at this point. So I didn't know him for that film in particular. I remember watching some of his stand-up when I was growing up. I wasn't an enormous fan. I was a fan, just not an enormous fan. I always thought he was enjoyable. I always saw him on the talk show circuit. He was great. Here's just a random early memory, like just the smallest 20-second scene from the film. For some reason, I always remember this brief sequence when Rodney Dangerfield as Thornton Mellon and then his son Jason and his son's roommate Derek they go back to their dorm room and at this point in the movie their dorm room has been completely transformed into this luxury suite all the walls have been knocked down and so it's been completely remodeled and it looks amazing and as they each individually go through their three doors that were originally leading to their respective dorms now it's all wide open they all walk into this giant room together at the same time you hear the swelling music that always cracked me up. It still does to this point when I watch watch it. And that's just a random early memory. And another one would be the fact that the protagonist is named Jason. We share a name in common. Wanted to give a shout out to the shorter fellows out there dating the taller girls. I'm all for it because Jason Mellon, a little bit of a shorter stature and uh, dates a very attractive taller female in this movie named Valerie. A couple of characters there for you. And my final earliest memory, absolutely, 100% has to be the Triple Indy. The most memorable dive featured in a film. I'm calling it right here on the All Ladies Movies Podcast. I will second that. Hell yeah. Thank you, sir. And I'm always complaining about how actors can't dive worth a damn in movies. I mean, it goes back to, I think, Romancing the Stone. May have been the first one where I called out Michael Douglas for a poor dive at the end of that film. I think there's a weak one in Big Trouble in Little China. There was something recently. It could have been Friday the 13th. I'm not positive. However, this one nails it. This is the creme de la creme. And that rounds out my earliest memories. How about you, Bill Bant? Uh, yeah, Jason, for me, back to school. This movie is a big deal to me because this was the first movie I went to the theater by myself and it was also the only movie I got to see during the summer of 86. Um, my mom worked for the city of Philadelphia as a nurse, and the city was planning to go on strike. And in order for us to make it, uh, my mom had to cross the picket line, and she literally had to live at our job during this strike. So me, my younger brother and sister ended up staying at my grandparents for most of that summer. I remember sleeping in my grandparents' basement on a hammock uh, while my brother and sister uh, got the bedroom upstairs. And my Korean parents had one of those old little black and white TVs. And I would stay up late at night and watch Carson and Letterman. And every morning, my grandmother would come in and wake me up to do laundry and yell at me like, what are you still doing in bed? It's 930 in the morning. Well, I'm a kid. That's what we do, you know. But I was always a huge Rodney fan because of his appearances on Carson. I used to love watching his specials on HBO. I, like you, had not seen Caddyshack. My first Rodney Dangerfield movie was Easy Money. But yeah, the, the whole thing about going to the movies for the first time, for some reason, I didn't tell my parents I was going to do this. I think I lied to them and told them I was going to our community pool with my friends, which we usually did every day during the summer. It was it was a ritual. Sure. And I remember being extremely nervous because I went to an afternoon matinee. Um, it was at the Tyson Theater on Tyson Avenue in Philadelphia. And I certainly didn't want anyone to see me going. I had just finished grade school 
So I was going to high school. I was going to do my freshman year. And for some reason, I thought if someone saw me going to the theater by myself, that was somehow going to carry into freshman year of high school. And then I was going to be finished. Stupid things we think about when we're kids. Absolutely. But yeah, I remember going to the theater, getting my ticket, sitting down, trying to sit away from anyone else in the theater and kind of keep an eye on the entrance just to see who was coming in. And, you know, like I said, it was the matinee show. There wasn't very many people. And then I remember the lights going down, getting dark. And I was like, okay, I'm okay now. And I mentioned this in our Running Scared podcast. One of the trailers they showed before the movie was of Running Scared. Right. And there's a scene in the trailer where you have Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. And they're in this like trash compactor. And they're in a car and it's flipped upside down. They're having an argument about the $10. I wasn't going to bring up the fact that you still owe me $10. It's like, do you want your money? I was like, yeah, I want it now. And I busted out laughing so loud that I felt like everyone in the theater was then looking at me. And then I got nervous again. But then once the movie started, I was fine. And I remember leaving the theater. And I just remember because you know, it was middle of June. It was hot, super bright out. So you can't can't see it first when you step out of the, the darkened theater. Right, yeah, yeah. But just a sense of accomplishment that I did it, that I went to the movies by myself. I was so excited. I did it. I would probably say 40% of the time I've gone to the movies now, I've gone by myself. And it all started there with Back to School. So, yeah. So this movie holds a special place for me. I love it, Bill. I love that story. I remember when you had told it, or at least part of it, when we did the Running Scared pod. What a great memory. Obviously, a very vivid one for you. So thanks for giving us the full, unabridged version. And also, I have to say, going to the movie theater by yourself is underrated. I absolutely love going to the theater by myself. I wish I could remember the first movie I saw in a theater by myself, actually. I got to think about that. But uh, yeah, great memories. Anyway, are we ready to move into our initial thoughts and how we felt about this movie today? Yeah, let's move into initial thoughts. What are some initial thoughts about Back to School? Absolutely. So I had forgotten how sweet and simple this plot is in this movie. Thornton Mellon, our protagonist, wants to go back to school to be with his son to encourage him to stay in school. That's all, folks. No crazy stakes, no real risk outside of not getting a college education. We just have some lovable characters you want to see succeed. Easy enough. And I've said this on a previous pod, if the comedy plot is going to be that simple, that's fine. But your characters then and the relationships better be interesting, better be relatable or likable and pretty damn funny if it's a comedy, right? And guess what? This is damn funny. It succeeds. It succeeds because of Dangerfield. They were really smart in building this vehicle for him and around him and allowing him to cook within the structure of the movie. I mean, look, he's an all-time great. Mentioned that already. And as an audience member, you want him to do his shtick. We're going to the movie theater to see this movie, to see him do his thing. So they gave him a character outline, an arc that works for his comedic stylings. It just makes sense. It works within the context of the story in the film, and nothing feels forced about his comedy in this movie. Now, the plot itself, at times, is borderline ridiculous. Absolutely. But I wasn't expecting anything else. So let's talk about the main players real quick. Of course, Rodney, who plays Thornton Mellon, man, his career spans decades from the 60s until he passed in 2004 at 
82 years old. Again, famous for his stand-up. He does the lovable, disgruntled, everyman type. He's got his rapid-fire one-liners. The self-deprecating humor is the catchphrase, I get no respect. Uh, his fidgety nature, the big bulging eyes, always pulling on his collar and adjusting his red tie. I think he was re just really well loved and revered on the stand-up comedy circuit, too, because he was such a big fan of stand-up comics and just really promoting other comics and just really provided that platform for them and is really well uh, in my regarded and remembered for that, well-respected for that. They just give Rodney Dangerfield a ton of credit. And uh, looking at his filmography a little bit, 1963 to 1992, this is his uh, span on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, as you had mentioned. I mean, he was on that show for 73 episodes. In 1980, he was, of course, in Caddyshack, which was his big first feature film appearance, which did a lot for his career. Then 1983 was Easy Money. In 86, he does this film, Back to School. But then he does the Miller Lite campaign. Tastes great, less filling. He does that from 77 to 86. The film Moving in 1988. And then he is also known for the 1992 sports movie, if you want to call it that, Ladybugs. And then in 1994, he takes a dramatic turn in playing the character Ed Wilson, whom is the character Mallory's dad. And I believe Mallory was played by Juliette Lewis in this film, Natural Born Killers. Kind of, you would think kind of strange, but as I remember, and I think he got some critical acclaim for this. He was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then another notable film, 1997, he does Meet Wally Sparks. So moving on to another one of our main players, we have Keith Gordon playing the son to Rodney Dangerfield and the character's name is Jason Mellon. He was back in 1978. He was in Jaws 2. I wanted to mention in 1979, he was in a TV miniseries mini called Studs Lonigan. The only reason I'm bringing that up is because I just, I just want to say Studs Lonigan as many times as possible. And also because who played the titular role, but Harry Hamlin. That's right. From Clash of the Titans, Studs Lonigan. I'll say it again. And I don't care. Keith Gordon was also in Dress to Kill in 1980. Then he was in the Stephen King movie, Christine, in 1983. In 1985, he was in The Legend of Billie Jean in 86. He's in this, back to school. But got to give a shout out to Miami Vice. In 1989, Keith Gordon mm. plays the role of Professor Terrence Terry Baines in the episode Leap of Faith. And uh, yeah, we'd like to shout out Miami Vice as much as possible. But I want to mention the fact that Keith Gordon... Also talented writer, film and television director. He's still directing TV today. He goes back to directing some big shows. House, Rectify, The Killing, Dexter, Nurse Jackie, The Leftovers, Better Call Saul, Fargo, Legion, and Homeland. Just to name a few. Keith Gordon, actor, director. Now, one more main player I'm going to shout out here is Sally Kellerman who plays Dr. Diane Turner. She is the literature professor in this movie. R.I.P. Sally Kellerman. She passed just recently in, in February of this year, 2022, at age 84. She started super young back in the 50s, was still working all the way up, or at least uh, near to the end there. Her monumental break came in the Robert Altman film, uh, MASH. She plays Major Margaret Hot Lips Houlihan, and she got an Oscar nomination for that. 
Uh, she was known for working with Robert Alton more than a couple of times. And I'm just going to be honest, Bill Bant, I'm not particularly fam- like familiar with her filmography. I could go over some things, but I just, I know of her, especially from this film. I think she's absolutely wonderful and she has a wonderful presence, a very, and that she exudes such warmth on the screen. Do you uh, want to say anything about Sally Kellerman or do you have any attachment to her as an actress? When you mentioned Sally Kellerman, the first movie I do think of is Back to School. Yeah. Because growing up, I was a fan of the MASH TV show, but it was for the longest time. I didn't realize it was based on a movie and did not know that she was the original Hot Lips. But I think for me, the first movie I saw Sally Kellerman in was Meatballs 3. Yep. I'm sure that's when she's very proud. I did see that filmography. Just round out my initial thoughts regarding her. She really is the standout for me now in this film because I was going into it already expecting Rodney Dangerfield to be great, which he is. I just was a little bit more surprised at how much I loved her performance in this film. She is the embodiment of warmth. Uh, She's got that slightly raspy voice and her delivery is just really smooth and sensual and whimsical. You just kind of want to be around her character all the time. She just exudes such a love for experiencing life in this movie, at least her character does, but she, uh, you get the feeling that she does too as a person for some reason. So yeah, shout out to, yeah, Sally Kellerman is great in this movie. There are so many people in this movie, names that I had forgotten. We've got Robert Downey Jr., William Zabka, Burt Young, Terry Farrell, Sam Kinison, Adrian Barbeau, Ned Beatty, M. Emmett Walsh, and Robert Picardo are all in this movie. I'd completely forgotten about that. And just talking about Rodney Dangerfield a little bit more, he's not as much an actor as he is a goofball in this movie, but he still manages to have some genuine moments, really genuine moments, and actually has pretty good chemistry with Sally Kellerman. That's an initial thought I had. I think he and the relationship that he has with Sally Kellerman, aka Diane in this movie, is pretty sweet and charming. Lastly, this is my overall initial thought regarding this movie and this rewatch As an adult today, I really related to the main theme, that being for me, in my opinion, wealth versus value. What does it mean to be rich? And then also, what does it mean to actually have something of value in your life? And that pertains to the relationship between Thornton Mellon and his son, Jason Mellon, in this movie. I was surprised and totally endeared by this theme. And the movie just resonated with me more as an adult. It's about a dad making up for missed time with his son. He's trying to help him, but he makes mistakes along the way, thinking money can solve all your problems and it can buy happiness. Now, the son is appreciative of his father's financial generosity, but he wants ownership of his own life and he wants to make his own path. But he also comes to the realization that his dad's not just doing it to help him. His dad actually needs it for himself because he, he wants to be close to his son and he wants to spend as much time with him and make the most of that time with him. And beyond that, actually, in the movie... His dad really does need his help in order to pass the final oral examination in order to stay in college. So the relationship of giving goes both ways. Now, the movie is an outright silly comedy, but that father-son love story at the center of it is really bittersweet. It's not complicated. It's just nice. Anyway, that's my initial thoughts. How about you, Bill Bant? Yeah, for me, my initial thoughts. First thing was, I was surprised I didn't own this movie. (laughs) We decided to have this on the schedule i was like okay i go to watch and i go to my dvd blu-rays and i'm like where the hell is it 
I don't know what happened to it. I don't know if someone borrowed it or maybe it became unplayable and I had to throw it away and I never replaced it, but I did not own it. And that was quite upsetting. So I had to certainly go and rectify that situation. You know, you said earlier, the movie is only 96 minutes long. If there was one major change I could do, I would write out Derek Lutz's character. So sorry, Robert Downey Jr. And give a little more time to Jason Mellon, Keith Gordon. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I know he's not the central character, but I think like another scene at some point with Rodney, with Billy Zapka, even Terry Farrell would have been nice. I think it just would have added a little more punch to the end. Because like I said, it really is about a father because of his marriage has kind of moved away from his son and realizes the mistake that he's made and wants to try to rectify all that. So I I wanted to see a a little bit more of that, of how Thornton was trying to buy out of these problems and his son was trying to show him, no, you can't buy everything with money. Mm -hmm. There's other things you need to do. So it was cool that they would both be learning something throughout the course of this film. And I wanted to build on that a little bit. I also really would have liked the scene with Terry, a.k.a. uh, Valerie Desmond and Rodney, because we find out in the beginning of the movie that Jason kind of has a crush on Valerie and he doesn't know how to act on it. And of course, things kind of go a little bit wrong. And I thought it would have been cool if Rodney had stepped in there and kind of, okay, my kid's not a bad kid. He made a mistake. He really does like you. Please give him another, you know, something like that. I I think I would have liked to see the two of them interact a little bit. Sure. I mean, I know this is Rodney's movie and we're paying to see him, but kind of like to see a little more of how, how they're finding their way to get through college. And that I just think that really would have just punched up the ending a little bit more. It kind of ha- happens a little too abruptly for me. Gotcha. Couldn't agree more, actually, because first of all, I agree that unfortunately, yes, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Derek, just doesn't have anything to do in this movie outside of looking goofy with ridiculous costumes and his crazy hair. So he's underused. But the relationship between Jason and Valerie just needed a lot more development. And they could have spent more time on that had they not spent as much time or the little time even that they did with Derek, the roommate. Now, to even further enhance the relationship between Thornton and his son, Jason, I'm all for it in this movie. And I was just thinking about the fact that his father's at this point could retire. I mean, he's still working, but he's made his millions and is making, you know, he's at a different point in his life, clearly, where he has enough money to give it away. He's always giving it away to people in the movie. He's just super generous. And he's this kind hearted, charming, gregarious kind of guy. And the fact of the matter, though, is that Jason's still growing. He is coming of age. He's trying to figure his life out. He's at a different point in his life. And when his father just keeps giving him things, it's almost like he's his growth is being stunted. Like he's just not Right. To do things on his, like figure it out uh, and make the mistakes and stuff. Everything's just being handed to him. It's kind of, you know, you get a little bit of both perspectives. And then they realize, though, that they love one another and they need each other for different reasons and they got to figure it out. So, good initial thoughts. I, I totally agree with you. So, are we ready to move into our next segment? No, I have a couple more thoughts. Sorry, man. I thought I thought you were done. I totally got you. Sorry. Off. I know that was kind of a big one. Maybe I should have saved that for last. Other initial thought. I've got two more. So even watching this movie now, so Paxton Whitehead, who plays uh, Philip Barbet. Yeah. God, he was still such an ass. 
And I still hated him in this movie. He's great. All these years later. Yeah. He would certainly be in my uh, faculty from hell. So kudos to him. It made me think like if I was going to school, if I was going back to college and in my freshman year, I had Professor Barbe for economics, then Professor Hathaway for science from Real Genius. Yep. Terrence Fletcher for music from Whiplash. And then Mrs. Tingle from English. Yeah, I'd be in some serious trouble. I'd be asking my parents to just, I'm dropping out too. And I, I would, I would definitely need, need Thornton Mellon to come in and rescue me. I mean, bottom line, what makes this movie work? It is Rodney. And I think what just makes this movie so funny too, if you told me this was a documentary about Rodney Dangerfield going back to school, I could almost believe it. Because I almost feel like that was how he would react to all this. Yeah. And what's great about it, though, is that it feels natural because there's a lot of times we have comedians that are in movies and they kind of force feed their bits into the film. Oh, yeah. The way they all did it for this movie, it works. His character works in this premise. That's what I love. You know, he's not intentionally doing the no respect stuff. Just the way the one-liners are, it all works in the movie, and that's what's so great about it, and that's what just makes it such an enjoyable, quick watch. If you like Rodney, he delivers. Outstanding, and I want to apologize for cutting you off earlier again. However... All right, so let's move on to favorite scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. First of all, we should do a Faculty from Hell mini-sode on this podcast. Oh, yeah, we should. Casting our own Faculties from Hell. Like kind of like the Mount Rushmore of yes, who you know, who we'd want and yeah, who we would hate, and you could do the opposite too. Like you, who would you want? Like yeah. uh, your favorite teachers, like or whatever from eighties films. Uh, that's great stuff. Oh, and I was going to say something else. What was it? What was that last initial thought you just had what about you- Rodney? I, the movie just fits his personality perfectly, and they don't force it or oversell it. Because yes, this is the perfect example of that working for a stand-up comedian. And the one example of it not working that I always think of that pops up in my head is not an 80s film, but it's Lethal Weapon 4 when they introduce Chris Rock into the cast. Oh, yeah. And his bits are very forced. And there's one bit in particular that he has with... Oh, yeah, Joe Pesci. Yeah, Joe Pesci. And there's a bit about cell phones, because that was a thing at the time, Uh, cell phones cutting out or people hanging up on you or something and how he used to dial a rotary phone, but it was like they clearly had to get him into this room with Joe Pesci because Joe Pesci had his shtick and Chris Rock as a comedian has his shtick and they're going to bond over this little thing. And it was completely manufactured and they do this bit and you're like, oh my God, they just forced this situation to happen so that Chris Rock could cook for a minute and be Chris Rock. Oh, yeah. That's an example of it not working because that moment didn't serve the overall arc or the story within Lethal Weapon 4 at all. Like it had nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. It was just them trying to be goofy and comedians or in Chris Rock in particular. Anyway, that's what it made me think of. So are we done with initial thoughts? I think so. You're done, right? I'm done. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to favorite scenes or moments. What are some of our favorite scenes and moments from Back to School? All right. So let's start at the beginning. You know, the movie begins with, we're going back in time. It's kind of the beginnings of Thornton Mellon, whom back in the day was known as Thornton Maloney. And I think this is New York City, if I'm not mistaken. 
but it's all in black and white. And we're introduced to a young Thornton Malone. I think he's between like 10 and 12 years old. He's walking down the street and he's going to his father's shop. It's a tailor shop. And his uh, father is sewing up some pants or something like that, walks in and the young boy, the young Thornton Maloney hands his father his report card from school. And his father is a little disappointed. These grades aren't going to get you anywhere. You need to get good grades to go to college. And young Thornton like, says, I don't want to go to school. School's not for me. I want to follow in your footsteps. I want to work in the shop and do what you do. That's when his father says the line that I said earlier about a man isn't anything without his education. There's just a nice little moment here. This isn't necessarily a favorite scene. I'm just giving a little background or a little context to this moment is that the young Thornton Maloney, when he's being kind of scolded a little bit by his father in this scene, does this nervous pull of the collar, which is a signature Rodney Dangerfield move that he does and one of the things he's famous for in his stand-up comedy when he's just fidgety all the time. I just thought that was smart that they directed the kid to do that because you're like, oh, that's a young Rodney Dangerfield. That's what he would have done. And that's why he does it still when he's older. I just thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, this is definitely one of those classic, you pop the movie in and I'm expecting the opening credits. And it's like, oh yeah, there's this opening scene. Yeah, it is a fun scene because in a way it, it really does set up the premise of the movie because yeah. you know the father tells him you know education is important but he becomes very successful but not having the education and you know he even tells his son about hey when he, his son tells him he's going to drop out and he's like no education is really important passing along what his dad said to him and now he's finally going to follow his own dad's advice and enroll right. in school yeah it is a, a fun little moment it's a sweet two and a half minute scene where the credits roll. I just wanted to mention the, the actor that plays young Thornton Mellon, who is Jason Hervey, who uh, was also in Back to the Future in 1985. That may have been my, hey, it's that actor from that film from Back to the Future when we covered it on this podcast. He's technically Marty's uncle, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. yeah. In the timeline. Yeah. How it works out in Back to the Future. It's very funny when they're sitting around the table watching the TV and Marty looks at it and goes, uh, Oh, yeah, I've seen this one before in reruns or whatever. And they're like, what are reruns? Yeah. Anywho, what's, uh, what's your first favorite scene and or moment? Uh, I'm going to start with the moment in order to, to set this up. So the movie starts and it starts with a party with uh, Thornton and his wife, played by Adrian Barbeau. And they're celebrating their fifth wedding anniversary. But you can kind of tell this marriage is doomed. And by the end of the scene, Rodney asks for a divorce. And he tells Lou, who his chauffeur, confidant, Lou's always kind of with Thornton, that, you know what, because of this marriage, I've ignored my son for the last five years. We're going to college to visit him. So there they go. They take off. And Thornton has talked to Jason. And Jason's kind of been telling some white lies about college. Right. He's told his dad he's on the uh, diving team and he's really the cowboy. He's in a fraternity, but no, he's living in the dorms. Once Thornton Rodney gets there, he's going to find quite a few surprises. So they get to the college, they pull up to a building and Rodney and Lou get out. And Thornton assumes that it's a fraternity and that's where his son must be staying. He goes running into the building and it's a sorority. 
But Rodney does not find out it's a sorority until he goes upstairs into the women's showers. And of course, hey, it's a PG-13 movie. It's an 80s movie. You got to show some breasts. 80s boobs. That's right. Rodney accidentally sees one of the uh, sorority girls naked and all of a sudden cut to Rodney's in front of the sorority with either it's either campus security or the police. And the police are escorting Rodney out. And one of the the security guard or the officer is like, perfectly understandable, Mr. Mellon. It was an honest mistake. Let's just call it a bad day. And Rodney comes back. Hey, you're all right, officer. Here's a little something for the kids. And pulls out this big wad of cash and just hands the officer a couple of dollars. And the security guard's excited that he's got the money. And he comes back with... Uh, I don't have any kids and sorry, but I, I got to do my bad Rodney impression. So it's like, no love kids. It. Hey, well, go get yourself some kids. Take it all. And he just hands them the whole wad of cash. And then he just follows up with, and just remember the best thing about kids is making them. And they start laughing together <laughs> and it just shows Thornton's he's very wealthy and he's very well known because he runs this chain of tall and fat tall stores. And fat. Yeah. So most of the people he kind of knows are customers of his and he does these really outrageous commercials. So certainly very popular, but I think I, I like about the scene. It just shows that he just has that personality that people just attach themselves to, even though he's given this security officer money, he's not trying to bribe the officer. No, it was essentially an honest mistake. So just because of him himself, He just has such a demeanor and just people just gravitate and love him so much that he's just able to to work these things out. And that's what I just kind of like, because then you kind of know in the scene, I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to be dealing with throughout the rest of the movie. He has such a personality that once he steps in the room, all eyes are on him and he can have his way with however he wants, but he doesn't abuse it. He wants to be a part of it. He wants everybody to enjoy what he feels. And I think it it really shows in this quick opening moment. And he just appreciates everybody for what they do and just kind of wants to reward them for the work that they do. And you just know, like, okay, once you find out he's going to college, it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a fun time. 100%. Great moment, by the way. It's really funny when he's talking to that cop and he's like, yeah, go make some kids. But yes, he's very genuine in giving the money because he's just, at this point, he's made his millions. And I agree, he's not abusing the fact that he's rich. He's just wanting to give back. He has the ability to give it away and just provide some of the happiness that the money has afforded him. Yeah, just people love him because he is a charming, but he's genuinely a good guy. It's coming from a good place. He's well-intentioned when he's giving the money away. So yeah, just a really lovable dude. He's not, like you said, he's not trying to buy anybody with it. But uh, yeah, good points and uh, good moment. Because you kind of see it again, and you mentioned this in initial thoughts, when they redesign the dorm rooms. Yes. And the the construction worker comes out. Coming out, yeah. And he's like, you know, hey, thank you for doing this last minute. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I put a couple extra bucks in the bill for you guys to throw a party. Like he understands. He asked these guys for a last minute favor. They were nice enough to oblige. You did something for me. I'm going to do something for you. Enjoy some drinks or whatever you guys are going to do with this extra money. And that's that's just who he is. And this is great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, like I said, it comes off this way where he's just feels like he's 
he knows he's been very fortunate in his life and he just wants to give something back. But credit to Rodney Dangerfield's performance too. He is very charming in that way. He doesn't come off as a, a prick or whatever, you know, just like some entitled rich guy, like a stereotypical a-hole, you know, mm-hmm. that has too much money. Right. What we see in the beginning that he has business smarts and he is right. Yeah, he yeah, is yeah. trying to make money. He's trying to make a profit, but you know, he understands too that he has this wealth and he'll give it to those that he feels deserves it. It's a good point that he actually, he worked pretty hard to get where he is. He's, you know, he's a self-made guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and speaking of, you mentioned the kind of the obnoxious commercials that he has for the tall and fat store that he owns and runs. And that was another moment I had It's near the beginning. It's when he's riding in the limo and we see that Lou, his best friend that he grew up with, who is his driver. And Thornton is in the back of the limo and he's watching on the little TV that he's got in the limousine. He's watching his own commercial for his own store kind of reviewing it almost and kind of critiquing it. He was even asking Lou for some critique on the commercial, but you can hear Thornton's voiceover, the narration from the commercial as it's playing on the little TV in the limo. And you hear Thornton talking about the tall and fat store. And he says, yeah, we have this line of clothing that would, for those that are a little overweight, uh, we've got stuff for the, uh, the Husky stout, extra stout. And we have the new Hindenburg line. And that just cracked me up. It got by me, I think, the first time I saw it. And then the second time I was watching it to take notes, just cracked me up like that would be an actual thing in a clothing store. The Hindenburg line for the tall and fat. There's a couple jokes within this little scene. But when he asks Lou for the critique on the commercial, he's like, do I look fat in the commercial? And Lou's like, yeah, you you put on a little weight. And he's like, ah, I got to hire bigger actors. That's just another little moment that I liked. Uh, so moving on for me, so favorite scene. So this is one of my favorite scenes. I'm sure that this might be on your list too. So Thornton has enrolled in college with his son. He's on his first day of class and we get to meet one of his teachers. And this, I think this is the first class he goes to without his son. So he's on his own on this one. And he goes to Professor Turkison's class. Yeah. And Professor Turkison is played by the late great sam kennison hell yeah who is one of the stand-ups that rodney actually helped uh, one of his specials so it was kind of cool so if, if you knew who he was and know his brand of stand-up as soon as you see him on screen you're like oh boy well where's this right. gonna go <laughs> so professor turkison teaches american history and He's introducing himself to the class and kind of talking a little bit about the subject we're going to be talking about is Vietnam. And he asks his students, you know, what happened with Vietnam? Why did we pull out of the, the conflict? And we have our nice little stereotypical goody two-shoe girl in the front. And she raises her hand and Turkison calls on her and she gives your standard textbook answer. Well, that is not the answer that Professor Turkison wants to hear. And he starts ripping into this poor student, talking about how when he was in the war and how he had to defend himself and how the country uh, was not supporting him. And he just goes on and on, screaming and screaming to the point where Thornton's like, hey, 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 hey. He steps in to, to save her because at this point, she's almost in tears. 
I mean, right. he's literally like face to face and he starts yelling at her. So, of course, uh oh, what is going to happen to Thornton? So now Turkeson walks up to where Thornton is, is sitting and goes, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, and asks him about the Korean War and asks him why there's another war that we didn't win and why did that happen? And he starts right in Rodney's face and he starts screaming at him. But luckily, Rodney sends it right back at him. And basically, Rodney answers that President Johnson was too much of a pussy to send MacArthur in there to blow those commie bastards back to hell. And Turkinson's taken back a little bit, but he's also pretty excited because, hey, I got a student in my class that understands what this right. class is all about. And it's just kind of funny. He's like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be watching you. I'll be watching you. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you think. And Thornton's, Rodney's expression is just great because did I just make friends with this? Or is this guy going to kill me in my sleep? And he, he says something about, yeah, this teacher seems really caring of what I don't know. Yeah, and it's just a great little clip. Great spotlight for Sam Kennison in this. Really funny, especially if you knew Kennison's uh, brand of comedy. But there you go. They wrote it in there perfectly for him and it works. And that's what I like about this too. Great call. Great scene. I regard it as one of the iconic scenes in the film. I'm always looking forward to it. I absolutely adore Sam Kinison's ability to come off as calm and natural as can be in the beginning. I think he's actually a pretty solid actor in the opening of the scene because this is contemporary American history. And he's just uh, saying, you know what? Welcome to my class, and we're just going to start off with this easy question of why in 1975 we pulled our troops out of Vietnam, and and he's just so calm. But then when that, like you said, the goody two-shoes girl in the front row just gives the stock textbook answer, it drives him batty, but he doesn't go ballistic immediately, and you watch him transition from calm to just losing his mind. The dialogue is hilarious, and it's off-color. And it's not politically correct, but it is really funny. And we always look forward to Sam Kennison shouting because that was his signature when he would yell, say it, say it, say it, or oh, oh, oh. It's just great stuff. And it just works really well within the scene. One, I'm going to step on trivia here a little bit too, is when he gets into Thornton's Mellon's face, he is so angry. He rips the top of the desk off and whips it behind him. And I guess during shooting, Dangerfield, who obviously is close to Kinnison, he knows Sam Kinnison and appreciates his humor, is laughing his ass off. So they had to cut around it because Dangerfield's laughing. So the one shot when you do see Kinnison rip off the desk and throw it, you can see the cameras behind Dangerfield, but you can see that he's laughing. So watch for that the next time. I couldn't keep a straight face. I wouldn't be able to do that. No. I think anybody in that situation would have been laughing their ass off. But uh, I love it when like when Thornton tells uh, Sam Kinison to take it easy on the young girl in the front row. He's like, these kids were in grade school at the time, man. I'm a, not a fighter. I'm a lover. And Sam Kinison's line is, well, I didn't know you wanted to get involved with the discussion, Mr. Helper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah, I think what I just loved about the scene, even if you don't know who Sam Kennison is going in, it still works because it's such a surprise to see this turn of professor. But for me, I knew who he was. So when I saw him, I was like, oh, OK, something's going to happen here. So I was prepared for it. 
If you didn't know who Sam Kennison was, it's still, I think it's still effective either way. It's yeah. If you don't know, then uh, it's the shock of it works. So it works both ways, whether you know him or not, but wonderful scene. I want to call out a moment that cracks me up here. One of the relationships I really like in this movie, and it's not like they don't go into depth here, but you get a real idea of it just from the brief interaction that they have. And that's the relationship between Thornton and his right-hand man, Lou. Lou, his driver and just confidant and buddy and bodyguard in some situations. Lou is played by Burt Young whom you may know as Polly from the Rocky franchise. Burt Young is great, and he's great as Lou in this. And you really get a sense that Lou and Thornton, they grew up on the block together back in the day, and they kind of had each other's back, and they've been best buddies ever since. And now Thornton, who's this self-made guy who's made his millions, has kind of helped his buddy Lou out and given him a job and keeps him close because he's his friend. What a great deal for both of them, right? It's a win-win. Anyway, beginning of the film, Lou has driven Thornton to the office and he goes into the big building with his name on it and walks into the boardroom where there is a board meeting and all of the business people are there talking about business and how things are going for the tall and fat line. Lou is standing there still in his driver's uniform. And during the scene, there's some jokes that get thrown around, but the phone rings and Thornton picks it up and it's his son, Jason, calling from school. And Thornton tells him, oh, hey, you know, it's a fifth wedding anniversary. I want you to come in town. And Jason doesn't want to because it's not his real mom. And he is not a big fan of whom Thornton has married in this situation. So anywho, what's funny about this is that Lou is the one that actually answers the phone for Thornton and when it rings. So not only is Lou like his driver, but he's like his secretary too. in the portman. It's just ridiculous. Here's Lou, this big guy in the suit and he's got that five o'clock shadow he's looking pretty shabby oh yeah actually but it doesn't matter and there's all these professionals in this room in this room now thornton's on the phone now talking to his son and one of the board members says hey we've got business to attend to you know are we going to talk about business at hand and lou just gives them this look and he's like back off yeah okay not going to mess with lou no no problem and then uh basically tells them all to beat it and everybody leaves it's just great I love Lou in this movie. I just want to give him a shout out because I'm going to mention him in one of my favorite scenes here coming up. Yeah. Burt Young. Yes. Big fan of Lou also. I wish they had let us know how the two of them became friends at some point during the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I just get that feeling seeing the two of them together that they must have met somewhere between eight to 12 years old and Lou was going to kick the shit out of Thornton for some reason, but just because of Thornton's personality he talked him out of it and turned it around and they've right. been buddies ever since. Yeah. That's just what I get out of it. Uh, yeah. I really love the way they use Lou throughout the film. He's kind of there. They don't overdo it. He's just one of those guys he keeps around, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of people out there. Where, I mean, a lot of people have friends like that. Lou is by no means like a hanger on. He's not like a freeloader. Oh, no, or no, 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 They're no. just He does a lot. Good. Yeah. For him. Yeah, he does. Absolutely. I love that call. It would have been great to see their history. Yeah. When they were kids, because I also see that like in grade school, if it wasn't Lou coming after Thornton and then Thornton using his charm to get win him over, I could see on the grade school playground, like a fight breaking out and possibly Lou stepping in and protecting Thornton at some point or standing up for him and beating the crap out of all the other kids. Right. And then they're like, Oh yeah, you know, we'd be a great team. Mm -hmm. So good call there. 
All right, so I got another moment for me, and this is uh, later in the film. So Rodney's enrolled in school, and it's a bit of an adjustment for him. He realizes the end of the semester, finals are coming up. So he breaks, basically brings his office to campus to do his work for him. So they're writing the papers and all that stuff. So anything that he needs to turn in is basically through work. So he gets called out on it from Philip Barbe, and he's brought to the dean's office. And that's where they accuse him of plagiarism for all of his work this semester. And Dean Martin is played by the wonderful Ned Beatty. And he's hilarious in this. He is the dean of the school and you know, his job is to make sure the school keeps up its reputation and the fact that Thornton wants to enroll in the school, even though he hasn't finished high school and he has none of the things that are needed to enter. But hey, Thornton decides he's going to build a business school in his name for them. So hey, that's how he got enrolled. So that's, it's just kind of funny how that kind of happened. So Dean Martin's always trying to protect him because he doesn't want that check to not clear. So Thornton's been accused and... As the dean, he has to follow through to see if these accusations are correct. So it's Philip, Dean Martin, and Thornton are in the dean's office. And Dean Martin says to Thornton, Mr. Mellon, I'm only going to ask you once, is this your work? And you see Thornton, he's kind of sitting there. He's kind of sweating a little bit. And it's like, huh, I, I can't lie to you, Dean Martin. And you're like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. He's going to admit that he didn't do it. Yes, it is. And just looks him straight in the eyes like, yes, it is. I love it. There's just a quick beat. And Dean just turns to Philip and goes, I'm satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And of course, Philip's all pissed off. And they decide that if it's true that Thornton has done his work, he can easily pass an oral examination, which is basically just going over everything that he has. And as an audience member, you're like, oh, shit. He's in trouble. What's going to happen? Takes him into the third act of the film. But I just love Ned Beatty in this. He's just hilarious. And yeah, it's just a fun little scene. Ned Beatty is great. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, his character's name is Dean Martin. But it is funny because every time you hear, they just become Dean Martin the whole time. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of us think of the famous Rat Pack member, Dean Martin. And it is purposefully that they use that name in this movie, that they wrote it that way, because, as I had mentioned earlier, Rodney Dangerfield made the talk show circuit, and he often appeared on Dean Martin's show. So he was friends with Dean Martin. They thought it would be funny. Why don't we call the Dean Martin? And then the entire time in the movie, they can call him Dean Martin. Great. And that scene's great. And it does reinforce the fact that Dean Martin, Ned Beatty, he's all about the money, doesn't care about anything else. He would let Dangerfield get away with murder just because he had donated so much money to the school. That's just a really funny scene. Is this your work? Yes, it is. That's <laughs> <laughs> just lies right in his face. So the sporting event at the center of this movie is diving, the diving team. And a lot of these dives take place on the 10-meter platform. What does that remind you of, Bill Bant? University of Miami. Oh, yeah. That's right. Bill and I have a, a personal history with the 10-meter platform at the University of Miami. And no, we were not divers. No, no. We were just breaking the law, breaking the law. Yeah, busting the dive tower back in the day. Yeah, we just kind of sneak into the, well, not so subtly, to the Olympic 
size pool on campus, jumping the fence and breaking the, uh, what is it? The little alarm system. I talked about this before. Uh, it was like a motion sensor. Yeah, motion thing, alarms. Right? Yep. Yeah. And we climb up and just jump off. We couldn't dive for crap. We just wanted to jump oh, off. Oh yeah. I would not dive off of that. Because we may have had a couple pops in us and, uh, you know, uh, it was a thrill. It was like a thrill ride because you yeah. jump off that platform. You don't realize how high it is. It's like 30 feet or something. Yeah, and we actually have video footage of that, and that's from way back when. Yeah, uh, we would see back then. We would have uploaded it to YouTube, but we couldn't. Right? <laughs> no kidding. Right? And then we would have got called into the dean. Um, yeah, we saw some of your videos. That's funny. Just wanted to uh, feature the ten meter platform on our podcast. So here's a nice little moment that I love. This movie is chock full of one liners. It just goes bang, 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 because it's Dangerfield. So. I like this moment because this isn't actually a one-liner. This is focusing on, I think, kind of the charm and the chemistry between Dangerfield and Sally Kellerman in this film. We know that Thornton Mellon is averse to school and school work and studying. So he's been attending Diane's class. And Diane is this sexy, mature woman who has a very good handle on the English language. And she's very sexy and sultry. And she's a wonderful teacher. And he's clearly infatuated with her. But he hasn't been doing any of the reading for the class. And she's catching on to that fact. And Thornton follows her out of class and says to her, hey, you know what? I got an idea. I need a tutor. That's what'll get me on the right path. That'll get me learning. Here, I need a tutor. Would you tutor me? And she acquiesces and she says, yes, okay, I can come over tonight. And she pulls out a pad of paper, has a pen, writes down her address, tears off the sheet of paper, hands it to him. And he's just all aglow. And she walks off. He follows her. He looks down at the piece of paper and reads the address on the paper and then looks up and just goes, what penmanship? And I cracked up because he's so like in love with her in this moment. He doesn't have any funny quip or something clever to say in the moment or something glib. He just says, what penmanship? Like he's breathless. It's just great. Just a funny thing that I picked up on this rewatch and something I appreciate now as an adult watching this. And his performance, it's funny. It's sweet. Now, I can't do quite the impersonation that you do, Bill Bant. And by the way, I'm impressed. I had not heard your Dangerfield impersonation. Shakespeare for everybody. What? Just one. It's another one in your whole repertoire of impersonations. I don't know if you've got, I've got a, a favorite scene. I got a moment. But uh, it's your turn. Okay. Yeah, this will be my last one. So it's another favorite moment. I'm hoping you're going to go into the last infamous scene of the movie. So we're near the end of the movie. Thornton, initially, he was going to drop out of school because of this oral examination, because he knows he didn't do the work and there's no way he's going to learn in time. But his son helps him step up. Dr. Turner is going to help step up. But everybody's going to step up to help Thornton pass this oral exam. So he takes the exam. We cut to the big diving meet of the year. And his son, Jason, is now on the team. Thornton has talked to the coach, but the son has earned his spot. And we also find out the diving team has not been doing too well. They've lost like 30 some meets in a row. And we also find out that Thornton used to be a pretty good diver back in the day. Right. 
Thornton shows up after the oral exam. He's in the stands and he's watching the meet go on. And it actually looks like the school has a chance to win this meet. But Billy Zapka, who plays Chaz, who's also one of the divers of the meet, kind of had a bad dive. Now he pulls up lame, but he's faking an injury. So now they need someone to complete this final dive. Basically, just they just need someone to dive into the water and they're going to win the meet. So the coach runs over to the stands and basically calls for Thornton to help him out to do that final dive. At first, Thornton doesn't want to do it. But then he gives in and he runs off to the locker room to change. And the moment that I love, because it's a culmination of everything that's happened up to this point in the movie, where everybody knows who Thornton Mellon is. Yeah, man about town. Yes, and the campus just loves him. He throws great parties. You know, he's buying everybody drinks. He buys people school supplies. He's just a fun guy to be around. Forming on stage at the local bar. Yes. So, like I said, it's just a moment. And the moment is Thornton literally just comes out of the locker rooms and makes his way to the dive tower and everyone's just going nuts. Everyone just loves the fact that he is coming out to save the day. It's just a culmination of the movie. It's just everyone just appreciates everything that he has done for them just through a half a semester and just their applause and thanks. Right. I mean, it's literally him walking out 30 seconds. I just love it, though. It's outstanding. It's outstanding because the easy favorite scene here to talk about is the triple Lindy, the dive itself, which is the finale of the movie, kind of the climax, if you will. And it's a great moment. However, I love that moment that you just singled out. Just the fact that when the crowd goes wild for him and just shows their appreciation because that's his character. That's what he's accomplished in this movie. He's just won over everybody in the school. Yes. Because he's just that guy. He is the life of the party. You want to be around him. You want to be his friend. And yeah, it helps that he's given people money here and there. But I mean, he's done a lot for the school, like in buying a, the business school. People love him. It's a great moment because you're like, yeah, you cheer for him too. You feel like you're right there with the yep. crowd. And you're like, yeah, go Thornton. You're totally behind him in that moment. I like that celebration. I have a couple scenes before getting to the triple Lindy, which I, I do have on my list, of course. One is a mentioned, obviously, Thornton, he's not big on studying. And Bill had mentioned the fact that he had all of his uh, board members write a lot of the papers for him. But in this particular case, he's with his son, Jason, as Jason's a little worried. It's like, hey, dad, uh, you know, you've got a major paper coming up, actually, on, on Kurt Vonnegut. You haven't read any of the books. And Thornton's like, I tried. I just don't understand a word of it. Jason says, so how are you going to write the paper then, huh? And then uh, there's a knock at the door, at the dorm room. So Jason goes to answer the door and he opens the door and there's this gentleman standing there and says, hi, I'm Kurt Vonnegut. I'm looking for Thornton Mellon. So Thornton has actually paid Kurt Vonnegut to come and write his paper on Kurt Vonnegut. It's brilliant. It's a really funny moment. And it is actually Kurt Vonnegut playing himself in the movie. Great casting. Uh, And then... In the scene afterward, soon thereafterward, when Diane realizes that there's been some plagiarism and Thornton isn't writing his own paper, he was supposed to write the Vonnegut paper for her. She says, uh, whoever did write this paper doesn't know the first thing about Kurt Vonnegut. Anywho, I want to give a quick shout out to Danny Elfman, man, who does the score for this movie. Some great music. It's a really, really well-known theme if you're a fan of Danny Elfman's film scores. 
And I just want to talk about this one scene real quick. It's the party scene in the dorm room post dive meet and Oingo Boingo is performing. Yes. Love it. Performing Dead Man's Party. Great song. I'm singing along. I'm a fan of both the band and Danny Elfman himself and Steve Bartek. I mean, it just great stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, a couple albums you need to buy if you don't already have them or uh, download, I should say, is that Best of Oingo Boingo. I listened to that ad nauseum for a while. And if you're a fan of Danny Elfman's music scores and film score work, buy Music for a Darkened Theater, volume one, at least. And there's two volumes, if I'm not mistaken. But yes, you get them both. Get them both. But the first one is definitely a must. I just wanted to shout this out really quick because I really was keying in on the father-son relationship in this film. And I love these this kind of bookend here, the scene after the dive meet where Jason, he dove poorly. He had a, a bad showing and he's upset and he goes to the party, drinks a little bit too much. Of course, Thornton's living his best life and he's having a great time, but Jason storms out and then Thornton follows him and Thornton is telling Jason, look, I just want the best for you. Uh, that's all I've ever wanted for you. And Jason replies, I know, but you don't know when to quit. And Thornton replies, I just want to see you happy. That's all. And Jason says, well, take a good look because I was a lot happier when I was miserable. Love that line. And that just kind of sums up the fact that Thornton's been doing a little bit too much and throwing his money and his weight around a little bit too much, taking care of his son when Jason just wants to make a path for, his, for himself. And uh, then later on, there's a brief scene between Jason and Lou and Lou lets him know really what Thornton's trying to do and why he's doing it and simply says, hey, your papa loves you. Eh? He's looking out for you. Look out for him. And Jason replies, okay. Meaning, oh, I get it. My dad, yeah, of course, he wants to buy nice things for me and he wants me to be comfortable, but he's here because he just wants to be close to me and he cares about me. He loves me. And he actually does need my help in order to pass the exam and stay in school and stay near me. And that's the message here. And the fact that Lou, Thornton's right-hand man, is the one to deliver that message to Jason is kind of cool in that moment. It's a really brief scene. So I like, I like that stuff there. But yeah, the triple Lindy man getting to it. Before I do, Bill Bant, was there any other favorite moments you wanted to throw in? No, I just wanted to uh, touch on really quick on uh, the stuff you just talked about. And Absolutely. I remember, <laughs> remember all of it. The Kurt Vonnegut, to me, is funny because I actually forgot that Kurt Vonnegut actually does show up in the yeah. film to write the paper. But I remembered the second and third part of it, the part where Dr. Turner is upset that she feels Thornton plagiarized and the right. person that he got the plagiarized doesn't know anything about Kurt Vonnegut, and then it cuts to Thornton in the dorm room having a conversation with Vonnegut saying, He's all mad I'm going to stop the check. And all of a sudden you're like, fuck me. Right. <laughs> Read my lips. Fuck you. And that's just great. It's like Next wow. time I'll get Robert Ludlum. So the fact you're telling a respected author at that point to go fuck himself is just hilarious. Right. Because I do the love paper that. that he wrote about himself wasn't good enough. <laughs> We've mentioned this before and can't say enough about Oingo Boingo and Danny Elfman. And the more you listen to this podcast, Oingo Boingo and, and Danny Elfman is certainly going to be a huge part of it. Oingo Boingo has done music for so many movies. Yeah. And 
Danny Elfman really just started taking off at this point, the mid eighties about, you know, doing uh, film compositions. I love the score for back to school, the main theme. I use it for work. A lot of times I'll, I'll play it when we do um, some of our educational workshops and we're, we're just waiting for it to start and I'll have that music playing. Um, That's great. It's just so catchy. I I love it. I agree. I own those soundtracks also of Danny Elfman, Oingo Boingo, and enjoy them immensely. And then what else did you discuss? What did I miss, Jason? I was just uh, talking about the scene oh, right, the Lou, yes. and Jason and then Lou and Jason. Yes, it is a very touching moment. Just Even you describing it, I was getting a little uh, choked up there. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that, that really is like the themes just right there for you. It, if you guys want to do this, you need to do it together. And that's, I think, at right. that point, they both see it and lose the one who's kind of been behind the scenes kind of watching all this play out throws in the advice right there just to say i know thornton doesn't really want to leave the school because he wants to be by his son but the only way it's going to work is if his son does accept him for who he is and thornton needs to accept his son for who he is and work this out and work together and they can continue their education together so that's yeah it is a touching scene it's a it's a lot more touching than you would think for a comedy yeah but i love the way you break it down i was i was was actually getting choked up there i was like oh Oh, yeah there's a lot more to this than than uh you realize so great way to explain that one thanks yeah i appreciate that but yeah that's what stood out to me on this rewatch Uh, look i appreciate it i love you it's well-intentioned everything that you're doing for me you comes from a good place you have a good heart but sometimes there's things that I need to do for myself on my own in order to learn, in order to grow, in order to fulfill the role that I'm meant to fill or whatever. But it means going my own way and being my own man. So some of those themes are in there, you know, not to get too heavy. This is a very, very lighthearted film, but that's the stuff I was uh, focusing on. That's all. But that's what I love about rewatching these movies is yeah. you go into this going, um, I can't wait to watch Rodney do all his funny bits and uh, watch the triple Lindy. And then you're like, oh, yeah, there's actually this really touching scene in there that I kind of totally forgot about. And right. it's not something I'm looking at at 13 years old. But now at my age, I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, it's really cool. And hopefully my son and I kind of have a, a moment like this. It's the whole perspective of when you uh, the ages you see. We talk about it all the time. It's just it's like when you see this film uh, or how you see this film really influences how the film affects you. And yep, yep. That's yeah. It's just one of the cool things about doing some of these rewatches. It's hundred percent. It's part of the reason yeah why we do this. It's great. So yeah, great comments. And we'll get right to it. The triple Lindy. Yes. So if you look it up, if you Google it, or If you ask Alexa, Alexa answers, a triple Lindy is a fictional swimming dive that involves launching off a diving board, then launching off three springboards in succession before entering the water. Also, you might find under that description, the Urban Dictionary definition of the Uh triple Lindy, which is a sexual position that requires the strength of Superman and the dexterity of Spider-Man. In parentheses, and if you like it kinky, Batman's mask and rubber nipples. Oh my God. Oh my God. When I read that, I was like, this is amazing. I can't wait to read it out loud. Freaking hilarious. So it's like, what, what the hell? I still don't I understand heard. what that means. Look, we're grown ass adults. We've heard some, there's some funny names for some different sexual positions out there. People, you've probably heard some. I'm not going to list them here. 
I had not heard the triple Lindy. No, <laughs> he was not that yes. context. So anyway, the dive. This yes. is the big dive at the end of the movie because they need an alternate for the dive team and they call out Thornton out of the stands and he comes in to save the day and he gets up to the 10 meter and he kind of puts his thumb in his mouth and he like puts checks it up the, the wind, yeah. check the wind. And then he, he does the arm fart thing. He puts his hand under his armpits and does that squeaky thing. It's just hilarious. Like that's his whole warm up thing that he does before diving. Then he goes into the dive and it's just one of the most iconic things because it's the most ridiculous thing because you, you, you look at his particular build and you know, he's an older gentleman. It's like, there's how, what, how is he going to pull this off? Oh yeah. And there's a funny thing that goes throughout the movie is that there's clearly a stunt man doing this stunt and they don't shy away from it at all. That's part of the joke and they're in on it and they're aware of it. And it's great. Cause you're watching. It's like, Oh my God, this guy's half the size of, of Rodney Dangerfield. And he's got a gray wig on and it's like the toupee is like flapping up in the wind when he's diving. It's really funny. So I'm going to just describe really quickly exactly what the triple Lindy entails. If you haven't seen the movie or even if you have. So jumping off the 10 meter platform, Thornton does a tuck, then lands on his feet off of the first dive board below, then springs up into a double back side flip onto the second dive board, just to the right side of that, then springs into a single backflip onto the third dive board, which is directly next to it, and springs into a single backflip onto the same dive board, then springs into a double front flip, and finally dives into the pool. I think I described it somewhat accurately. Hopefully you could visualize it in your head. If not, watch the movie. It's brilliant. And the brilliance of it is you watch it going, could somebody actually do that? Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's ever been actually performed. According to the research that I read, obviously they didn't really do it in the movie, but there was I didn't read anything about someone actually accomplishing this. I remember as a kid going to see dive shows. And I mean, I've seen dives where guys were way higher than 10 meters jumping mm-hmm. into a pool. Or I used to love this one. The guy would be on the end of the board and he would jump up and down to get himself really high. And then another diver would run across the board and they would time it where when the guy was coming down, the other guy was diving. So it looked like he was riding a horse and would literally be on the other guy's back. And the two of them would go into the pool together. It was a really cool visual. But I don't ever remember seeing someone go from one board to another and then jump in. So that was really fascinating and the fact that he does it three times i'm like i only see someone do it once let alone three times it's amazing but like i said the use of the double and then it does the obvious cut of rodney just kind of like at one point it was kind of like jumps and he puts oh i thumb up and waves yeah it's uh, it's so funny. It's so obvious. It's great. Yeah, I think that's right at the beginning of the trip when he di- when he jumps on the first diving board and then goes flying up in the air. He comes into frame, and it's really funny because it is Rodney Dangerfield, but he's like it's clearly it's there's no cutting form. around it. Yeah, and he just like does this goofy smile as he's floating in midair with his hands up in the air, like giving almost like a thumbs up or waving. It's really really funny. Anyway, great stuff. So. Uh, that's all I had for favorite scenes. If that wasn't enough, just the fact if you say to someone "Triple Lindy," oh, they sure. know you're talking about yeah that dive in this movie, and that just what makes it so iconic. It's yeah. hilarious. 
Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, so let's move on to our Swiss cheese and complaint department. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it doesn't fall under Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. So, Jason, what do we have for Swiss cheese and complaints? Well, I skipped past the Swiss cheese portion of this because I forgive this movie of any plot holes because it is an over-the-top comedy to a certain extent, and thus we are a little bit more forgiving because it has the just-go-with-it factor. Agreed. You buy into the conceit of the film that this older gentleman has returned to college and managed to enroll as a freshman to be there with his son and so that they can work through school together. And I go straight to complaints. And this is a question and sort of a complaint. It's a complaint because it is a question. Okay. Meaning how old is Jason supposed to be in this movie? We understand he's a college student, but I was a little confused as to what year he was in school because we do see Jason and his roommate, Derek, Robert Downey Jr. Get into the bar. They have to show their ID. I understand they could be fake IDs, but I was just trying to figure out what semester this was or where they were at in their career in school because... I'm with you on this. I thought for sure Jason was a freshman. So you figure... That's what I thought too. He's 18 years old. But then when the bar scene happened, wait a second. Are they 21? Are they because 20... then they're not freshmen. Right. And then I was trying to think, oh, well, the drinking age wasn't always 21. I think I remember it was 18 and then it got moved to 21 and I did look it up to see when it happened. And no, they had to be 21 at that point. It had moved up to 21, I think two years earlier, I think in 84. Yeah. So that was a little confusing. So then I had to go with the, oh, they must have fake IDs. Got it. Okay. See, in that case, that would make sense. So they're freshmen? I think it's the second semester of their freshman year. Right. That Because okay. he shows okay. up during break. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a little nitpicky, but you, when you watch the movie, that stuff can be a little distracting because we know that his father has enrolled as a freshman. And I guess they are in some of the same classes together. So I guess that would make sense then. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Now that I think about that. Yeah, they are in a couple of classes together. Both freshmen. Okay. That's it. Right. Cool. Jason got to point out the bad Photoshop during the opening credits. <laughs> it's another, it's like a mystic pizza situation. Yes. It's oh, this is, I would say this is even worse than, well, it was before mystic pizza. So it was worse. So they're still working on it. What's disappointing though, because they're black and white. So you think it'd be a little bit easier, 
but I think it's the third or fourth photo where you see Rodney slash Thornton on the beat. So obvious. Right. It's a face that's glued on. Yeah. It looks like they cut it out with like, like scissors, like Mm -hmm. it just cut out his face poorly and yeah. And then glued it onto other photos. And then there was like another weird one where we see Thornton wearing a hat and they somehow tried to fit the face in there under the hat and it's looking at a weird angle and it just doesn't work. Uh, I wish someone would just go back and just fix all that and just re-release it with, with opening credits now that we have Photoshop and just make it look so much better. I just had it pointed out that. Oh, no, absolutely. It's glaring. And a little shout out to the trivia in this part too, is that during that photo montage in the beginning of the film, during the credits, the final picture, I believe it is of Thornton golfing. Yes. And that's actually a still from Caddyshack. All right, what else you got for complaints? Here's a complaint is that there is a bar fight in this movie. We had mentioned that uh, Jason and Derek get into the bar. And at this point, Thornton is there with Lou and they're chatting up a couple girls and drinking a pitcher of beer. It's all good. Uh, I believe Thornton has already been on stage singing and sweating to uh, twist and shout. And uh, yeah, they walk in in the middle of him singing. Right. You're right. That's right. So he's the life of the party. And then Jason and Derek walk in. And then after that, well, the football team walks in. They've they're coming straight from the pep rally and something went wrong. That's a question I have. We don't get to really see exactly what happened, but clearly the, the big linebacker football player is covered in green and yellow paint. It's like as if he got slimed. So somebody punked him and they're not happy. So they've come to the bar following somebody and we can pretty much figure out who that somebody might be. And that would be Derek because we knew from an earlier scene that he had gone to the pep rally looking to stir things up and maybe cause a little trouble. Regardless, the football players showed up, uh, show up to the bar and they're looking for the punks that got him with the paint and Chaz, played by the wonderful William Zapka, Chaz Osborne, comes up to him and is like, what the hell happened to you guys? And they're like, some punks got us with the paint. And he's like, oh, well, you're in luck. Derek's right over there. The football players go over to Derek. And the big guy picks up Derek basically by the face and starts getting into his face. Derek has some witty comebacks and things to, to say to the football player. And he's about to get his ass royally kicked. When, of course, Thornton steps in, is like, hey, hey, what's going on? And the football player's like, what are you going to do? And Thornton's like, well, uh, I'm not going to do anything because I don't get physical. But he does. And (laughs) you see Lou, who's sitting in the booth, and he turns around, and he picks up the napkin holder and crushes it in his hand, (laughs) which is great. You're like, oh, shit. Lou is old school. You don't mess with him. He's one of those guys, you know, that's why I love it when they have a guy like that in a movie where you know he may not be the most physically imposing or he doesn't look like he's like in the best of shape. <laughs> he's just one of those heavies, kind of has a rough look about him. He's like a street fighter. <laughs> yes. He comes from the neighborhood. Yeah. You don't mess with that guy. And you can see it in the football player's face too. He's like, oh shit. Uh, <laughs> and so Lou gets up into his face and Lou throws the first punch. Lou starts the actual fist fight. And all hell breaks loose. It's really kind of goofy. And the music's going. And people's bodies are getting thrown around. Hijinks ensue. Little, but at the end, Lou literally picks up one of the football player kids and rams his head into the jukebox. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, whoa, that's violent. And then the following scene, now we're back at school. And we're thinking, well, Lou's got to be in jail 
now or right. he's going to be paying a hefty fine and because of damages and whatnot, or he's going to get sued. There's got to be some accountability for shoving some kid's face into the glass cover of a jukebox. It's just Thornton in the literature class. He's sitting next to Jason. And he just goes, oh, you know, I'm worried about Lou. He might lose his trigger finger. <laughs> That's it. So my complaint being like, wow, he threw a kid into a jukebox and that's it. I don't know. It was a little, look again, ladies and gentlemen, we get it. It's a comedy. It's over the top. Great. But, but that was a little too, little too much. I thought. Well, we really didn't know that much about concussions back then. So yeah, we didn't know what damage Lou really could have done to the player. So they're about to kick the shit out of Derek. Right. Derek doesn't seem that worried about it. He could have got stomped on. Oh, yeah, completely. And it just totally lucked out that Lou was there and basically saved his ass. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, Thornton steps in first, but right. still, it, what, I mean, if Lou wasn't there, they all would have gotten their asses kicked. Yeah. So, yeah, Derek is rather nonchalant about the whole thing. And I don't know if he was just expecting his butt kicked and just lucked out. Yeah, was he just planning ahead going, I'm just going to go to the school if if he survived Yeah, and get them kicked off the team? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, not very smart on Derek's part no to even start all that yeah complaint for me so we find out that valerie desmond loves loves oh jason my god Mellon yeah at the end of the film okay now we know that jason does have a crush on her but i cannot figure out why valerie desmond feels the same way <laughs> at one point in the movie she goes out with chaz and jason gets drunk after the dive meet Punches Chaz out on the date with Valerie. So Chaz and Valerie are dating and he punches Chaz out. Outside of a conversation where Valerie Desmond says Jason is smart at astrology, we don't have much to go on. No. Do you think uh, she just sees some dollar signs there, Jason? <laughs> is she digging for gold? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, You know, that actually didn't cross my mind until you just said it. However... I totally agree with you. When they're professing their love for each other at the end during the resolution of this movie, it's ridiculous because they have just few scenes together and they're really brief. And even halfway through when Jason's drunk and causing a stir and then, yeah, like you said, punches Chaz. Talking to Jason even before that, she's like, you're drunk. You don't, this isn't you. I, it, how do you know who he is at this point? You've barely spoken to the guy. Mm -hmm. They've met at the library. They've met in line for registration. They've had such brief interaction. And then they're just like, I love you. I love you. And they're making out. And Jason's got a step on his tippy toes to reach your lips. Right. <laughs> and I guess just by the way, I looked this up because I was just curious about it. And it's not like he's like super tight. Like, I guess Keith Gordon is like 5'8". But Terry Farrell, who plays Valerie, she's six foot. Oh, okay. All girl. Beautiful. Yeah. Terry yes. Farrell. Beautiful girl. So there was a little height disparity there. So thank you for bringing this up because there is, I had an issue with a couple relationship things here. One, that. Okay. And then the other, the fact that Diane and Thornton, we understand, are having a flirtation. It seems to be a little bit coming more from Thornton's side of things. He's really infatuated with her. But Diane's already in a dating situation with Dr. Philip Barbet, who is the uptight business instructor 
So we know they're together, but Thornton is making his way in. So he's getting to know Diane. They go out to dinner. He's flirting. And they go home together after a few drinks. And Philip thought he was supposed to have a dinner date with her, but that didn't happen. And they come home together, Thornton and Diane, and really throw it in Philip's face, which I felt he's the dick in this movie. But I felt bad for him at that moment. I kind of did too now. You guys are just being rude. Like, this is not... You don't have to do this to the poor guy. And so they go in, inside and they spend the evening together. Great. Okay. So now we're led to believe now we have a burgeoning relationship between Thornton and Diane. That's starting. Okay. Maybe Phillip's out of the picture. Not so much. Then the scene later, she's back on a date with Philip. I think it, they're either at the dive meet together or something happens where we know they're still hanging out. Oh, they actually go to the post dive meet party together because Thornton's thrown a big bash in the dorm room and Diane's like I want to go have fun I'm going to go check out this party and I'm going to go find Thornton and again just kind of leaving Philip hanging and she goes in to find Thornton and Thornton's in the hot tub with the bikini girls and Diane gets all butthurt it's like okay whoa wait a minute what right do you have to be mad at Thornton Who's not really doing anything. He's just in a hot tub with the bikini girls having a good time. And you're upset at him. Like as there's some jealousy that comes out here, that's just a kind of a bad look for you. What you're dating two guys at the same time. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you can't be mad at Thornton for hanging around with some attractive women at a party. Right. And so I was a little confused as to what the boundaries were here. What was her play here? What was her long long game here. Yeah. I I had written that down for my complaints too. this love triangle and does it really work? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't think it does because, okay. So Philip and Diane are together in the beginning of the movie. Then we're under the impression that Thornton sleeps with Diane. Right. Almost literally in front of Philip's face because Philip's outside Diane's house waiting for her because he's supposed to go to dinner. And we see Thornton just go right into the house with Diane. That's kind of cold. Oh yeah. And then Philip's with Diane at the dive meet after that. Wow. You seem to have no issue with the fact that she just slept with another dude like the right night before you're good with that, Phil. I don't think most men would be good with that. And he's even asked her to make like a, hoping they make a bigger commitment together. And she's like, eh, I don't know if I want to. I just want to have fun. She basically just showed you, hell no. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So another complaint I have is, so there's a scene where Thornton's secretary is taking notes in class and it's uh, Philip Barbet's class. Right. So Barbet's giving the class and he hears the typing because she's literally dictating the whole class and he comes up to her it's kind of funny because you see jason sitting with her and he's not keeping his composure because he knows the secretary's in big trouble right and philip leans into the secretary and whispers in her ear he's like i want you to take this down he says to her under no circumstances that thornton is going to pass his class right now, you know, he's got someone there getting notes. So he's got to read the notes at some point. So in a way, he is trying to learn from the class. Mm-hmm. But then later on, 
Phillips the one that accuses Thornton of the plagiarism? Correct. I would have took the secretary's notes to Dean Martin and said, look, Dean Martin. <laughs> just Phillips, yeah. <laughs> Dean Martin. Barbie said, I would never pass this class. And now all of a sudden he's accusing me of plagiarism. He's following up on his threat. I didn't plagiarize. He's just trying to get me kicked out of school. Here's my evidence. Totally on record. Yeah. Yeah. No way. I should have just done that. I mean, it kind of ruins the end of the movie. Right. Totally legitimate complaint. That was dumb of Philip Barbet to do that, to say that, to have the secretary type those words. Mm-hmm. And he's so adamant about it. It's like, oh, well, you're yeah. just incriminating yourself. Exactly. That's funny. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just didn't even think about that. Could have used it against him. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime this is just kind of a tongue in cheek complaint, I guess, but anytime there's a stressful testing situation in a school movie, mm-hmm. stresses me out, man. And there's a testament, I guess, to Dangerfield's acting in this movie. He is so freaking wiped out from studying. Oh, but, I, yeah, great montage. To talk about the montage, the montage of him just studying leading up to the final oral examination is really funny. And how he's trying to stay awake and how he attempts to drink coffee at one point and mixes up the whole order of things. Anyway, I just I'm complaining about the fact that testing stresses me out. Yeah, it's not the first time you've mentioned something like this, Jason, about getting stressed on these situations while watching these movies. It's pretty funny. I'm trying. What else? What other situation was it? Wasn't didn't the same thing happen in Risky Business? Didn't you kind of talk about it a little bit there too? Oh, there's two or three times where you've mentioned where stuff that would stress you out when you see it happen on movies that you stress out out. Absolutely. About again. No, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I was just trying to think of the specific mm-hmm. scenario. I but think um, this might be the third or fourth time you brought it up. It's kind of like end of summer school too. You know when they're oh yeah, exam, you know, and you're yes. watching the clock tick. Uh-huh. And like C C C on the scantron. <laughs> yeah, it does stress me out a little bit. Uh, don't you ever get those nightmares, man? Still, I still once every long that well, not so much anymore. The school that I'm yeah. late for the exam, or I I missed I'm late for school, or the uh, pop quiz and I didn't study. That's funny. Uh, another complaint from me. So, how is the diving team that lost thirty straight plus competitions? that popular i mean i love the fact that <laughs> yes we're dealing with a different sport so jason you and i and we've mentioned this already we went to the university of miami which produced right. some olympic divers yeah all the fans that went to that final meet i think the four years that i was there in college everybody that went to a dive meet would not even fill the stands in this film right so few people would go i just understand how is that so popular I mean, did you ever go to a dive meet at UM and it's right I never did. the campus? No, no. I knew yeah. a diver, but I didn't ever go to watch the team compete or anything. Yeah, they were way too early in the morning for me. So I would maybe hear them, but I never would watch one. But the fact that the stands are packed for a losing diving team, just that just made me laugh. I mean, I get it. but I mean, I we don't really them. see any other, do we see any other sports? You know, we, we know there's a football team. Yes. But. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe diving is the thing. It's Grand Lakes University. You know, that's their that's their bag. I have no mm-hmm. idea. Um, that's a great point, though, because those stands are packed, man. Yes. People love their diving in the great Grand Lakes. It's maybe about 500 people. That's a lot of people watch dive meet. 
Hey, good for them. Oh, absolutely. Hey, got to support. Yeah. And I love the fact that the Grand Lakes mas- mascot is the Hooter. Like there's the Grand Lakes Hooters. Uh, who comes up with those? It's just like, what? Yeah, I wonder if that's a real, like if that's an actual mascot out there somewhere, meaning owls, right? Would like the owl would be that. Oh yeah. Temple and FAU, I think are both owls. But to, to actually use the oh Hooters name Hooters. Oh yeah, that I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think really this will be just be my last complaint again. Is okay. just to reiterate the fact that Downey Jr.'s character Derek is uh, unnecessary, or they needed to give him something to do. He doesn't move the story forward at all at any point, or has no purpose in the film except for basically cheating on behalf of the diving team at the end of the movie. Yeah, could have Lou do it. Right. I think, yeah, you'd mentioned Lou could have done it, which may have been kind of funny or funnier, maybe. I don't know. Because at the end of the film, they're competing against this dive team. And to get the upper hand, Derek is helping out the Grand Lakes Hooters diving team. He blows an air horn when the opposing diving team is about one of the guys is about to dive, which throws him off and he dives terribly, getting a low score. And then the next guy comes up to dive from the opposing team and Derek pulls out a like a, a hand mirror from his pocket and uses the sun's reflection to blind the diver. And that's cheating. And I'm like, if Derek hadn't done that, I wonder how this meet would have gone. Oh, yeah. It's total interference. Oh, so that uh, leads me into my next complaint. Yeah. Okay. We all love the triple Lindy at the end. Mm-hmm. But it's just silly that Thornton has to do such a dangerous dive to win oh, right. the meet i mean because it makes it, it seem like because of what you just stated with derek messing up the other divers all thornton would have to do is just basically just jump off the 10 meter into the water and they win right just point his feet and go and make it have a smooth entry into the pool i felt like they should have raised the stakes let the audience know that thornton needs to get a 28 or a 29 for that dive to win the meet for the school I right. think that, that would have added a little something more to it, but it, it just really felt like all Thornton has to do is just show up and just jump in. They just need someone to dive, and Thornton has a history of being a diver, so that's all they need. But it would have been cool if the coach came up to him and was like, hey, you need to at least score the 29 for us to win. We know at that point that they haven't won in a while, and Thornton and the coach have a relationship. So, like, you know, to see the coach like, yeah, we really need this. We really need this. So then that would give him the reason to do the triple Lindy. Raise the stakes. Yeah, raise the stakes. So it makes it a little more fun that it gets accomplished. So you got a little more oof to it. I love that you bring that up because now that I think about it, I mean, the whole, that dive meet doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all, actually. Because one, yes, the Grand Lakes Hooters team would have been way ahead on the points regardless. So no need to have an extreme dive to win at the end. Secondly, we have Chaz, William Zabka. He fakes an injury, a cramp. What's the point of that then? Is to sabotage the team, right? So that they right. don't win. But what does that prove? To what end? Exactly. To just so that Jason doesn't have the satisfaction of being on the winning team? Right, because Chaz kind of has a bad dive. But Jason right. has a good then dive. Jason so has now, a good dive, and Chaz just wants to put it to Jason, just wants to throw it in his face, or just because Jason, just before this, has kind of gotten the upper hand. He's gotten his girl, and 
now he's just trying to get back at Jason, so he's going to throw the meat. Mm-hmm. Seems a little over the top for Chaz to throw the whole dive meat just to get back at Jason. But I guess that's the point. I guess that's the point. Yeah. But you're right. It wouldn't have been necessary for Thornton to do the, the triple Lindy, but we needed it for the final flourish. Yes. All right. And then I have one final complaint. Absolutely. Okay. So at the very end of the movie, Thornton gives the speech to the graduating class. Right. Oh, way too short for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is short. Make it two or three minutes longer and then have him add in there the experience being at the school has been for that semester and how he has bonded with his son. I mean, certainly, you know, you could still make it funny, but I, yeah, I would have liked a little more in the speech. You have Rodney Dagefield. Come on, he's a stand up comedian. Let's make this funny. I mean, he does a couple of quick quips. Right. Yeah, add a little more to it. Kind of wrap everything up with the speech, but he doesn't do it. So I was kind of disappointed in that. That's a great call, man. Because that would have been a point where you really could have let him just riff Mm -hmm. at the end. Meaning, sure, maybe keep the subject of his jokes school-based, focused on school. But he could have just done like 10 one-liners in a row about staying in school or how school either helped or didn't help him in the past or whatever it might be. Right. Just let him do his stand-up. He's on stage by himself. Let him do his thing. Yeah. Good call. I'm just begging for this movie to be longer. That's all. That's all it comes down to. <laughs> all right. So we're done with our complaints. We are. All right. So let's move on to, hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's, hey, it's that actor. Jason, who do you have? So many to choose from. We better not match because there's so many to choose from. You basically touched on my hey, it's that actor when you were talking about the scene during the business course where Dr. Philip Barbet walks up into the students and approaches the secretary who's dictating notes for Thornton. Well, Thornton's secretary is played by Edie McClurg. Yes. Awesome. Love Edie McClurg. Absolutely. So her character's name is actually Marge Sweetwater, which I believe she does say in the movie. Yes. And uh, she is his uh, Thornton secretary. Edie McClurg, immediately recognizable as the kind of like stock secretary in 80s movies, even though technically I think she played secretary probably maybe three or four movies throughout the 80s, but they were all memorable roles. Edie McClurg, the red hair, that kind of a little bit higher pitched squeaky voice yes. a little bit. Cause it's just funny when Barbet asks her, you know, what are you doing? She's like, I'm taking nudes for Mr. Bellin. So yeah, man, let's go over filmography really quick. She goes, actually goes way back. She had a, her first big role was in Carrie in 1976. Oh, I remember funny that. that she was in Carrie and then Keith Gordon, who's sitting next to her in that scene was in Christine. I'm just putting that together. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, King and King. King. Right? Edie McClurg was in Carrie in 1976. She was on the Richard Pryor show Hmm. more than a handful of times in 1977. She was on WKRP in Cincinnati. This is old school, guys and girls. Uh, She was in The Secret of Nim. She does, as I mean, she plays Miss Wright. She does the voice of Miss Wright. She did a lot of voice work and a lot of animated uh, film and television. That was in 82. Uh, She was in... Mr. Mom as the checkout lady in 83. In 1986, 
besides playing Marge Sweetwater, secretary in this film, she's the principal secretary, Grace, in yes. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And then in 1987, she is the car rental agent in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. God, that seems What so an funny. iconic scene with Steve Martin, who loses his mind on her. Uh, uh, great, great scene. She was also in uh, She's Having a Baby in 1988, does the voice of Carlotta and the Little Mermaid in 1989. She plays the secretary again in 1991's Curly Sue. Clearly, she was liked by John Hughes. Let's yes. just put it that way. Here's the, the kicker. In 1994... She plays the mother of the character Mallory, played by Juliette Lewis, in Natural Born Killers. And if she's Mallory's mom, that means she's the wife of Rodney Dangerfield, who played Mallory's dad. I forgot about that. And that's just a wild connection that Dangerfield and Edie McClurg are husband and wife in Natural Born Killers. Just random. That is crazy. Like a reteaming... Uh, was it seven years later? About that. Eight years later. Uh, there you go. Edie McClurg. We know her. We love her. And still working today. She's still with us. Check her out if you haven't, if you don't know. You'll, you'll, when you see her, you'll know. Oh, yeah. And uh, she has definitely uh, stolen some scenes oh, uh, yeah. throughout the 80s. Big time. Who's your hey, it's that actor? My hey, it's that actor. We have not touched on this person at all yet. Servan Darden. And he played a small role as Dr. Barazzini. He was the professor who was trying to see if he could teach chimps to read and write. And Thornton uh, was there to help as part of his uh, lab project. And Dr. Barazzini kind of leaves Thornton with uh, the chimps and tells them, you know, they're supposed to watch these videos and to take notes and Dr. Barzini comes back a few minutes later and the chimps are eating pizza and watching wrestling. So, right. Yep. Thornton can't even do that right. But hey, we still love him. So Severin was one of the original cast members of Second City in Chicago. So that's an interesting fact. So his filmography, uh, he had a lot of experience working with primates as his most notable role was in the Planet of the Apes series, where he played Culp in 1972's Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and then again in 1973's Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, we saw Severin in season one of our podcast uh, when discussing 1985's Real Genius. He played Dr. Meredith, who had a fondness for bunny slippers. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, the role I know him most for is Van Helsing in the 1981 horror spoof Saturday the 14th, uh, which is a terrible movie. But I'll admit I watched it a ton of times because I had a huge crush on uh, Carrie Mickelson who played Debbie Hyatt, the daughter of the uh, people that lived at the house. It was supposed to be a spoof of old horror, universal horror classic monsters, and this family inherits the house and not knowing that all these monsters live there. It also starred Richard Benjamin and uh, Jeffrey uh, Tambor. Yeah. It's not a good movie, but I watch it more than I hate to admit. So, but yeah, that's <laughs> uh, that's Servant Darden. Serving me a bad movie there with Saturday the 14th. Oh, all right. So let's move on to if we have anything left. Been stepping on this all throughout. Some facts and trivia. Yeah, some right. Facts and trivia left we can share with our audience. Sure. We got some little tidbits, some little okay. fun bits. Uh, the University of Wisconsin Madison 
was used as a backdrop for the movie, although it was called Grand Lakes University. The diving scenes were filmed at the since-demolished Industry Hills Aquatic Club in the city of Industry, California. Cool, yes. And then um, also University of Southern California and California State University were also used for some of the interiors. And uh, supposedly, Rodney had applied to go to the University of Wisconsin, and he said, it took 40 years, but I finally got here. Nice. So the conversation between Thornton and the diving coach about the triple Lindy uh, was only half fictional. I thought this was kind of interesting. So Rodney Dangerfield actually spent time in the 50s as an acrobatic diver in Atlantic City. And there really was a diving horse in the 40s, which was not there when Rodney was diving. But the entire scene was created after Dangerfield talked about the horse with scriptwriter Michael Ellis, who then passed it on to director Alan Metter, and they wrote it up. However, as you mentioned before, the Triple Lindy is not a real dive, but Dangerfield was an excellent swimmer, and they wanted to incorporate that into the movie. And that's why you kind of had that opening uh, pool scene showing him swimming. That's right. That's crazy that he was, yeah. I know. A diver. I mean, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I'd like to entertain. Just before the end credits, the message for Estelle, thanks for so much, is shown in dedication to Estelle Endler, one of the executive producers of the film who died during production. She was Dangerfield's longtime manager who helped him get into films such as Caddyshack. Cool. So during the oral exam scene, I remember when I was watching this, like, God, this room looks really familiar. Uh-huh. Sure enough, it's the same room in which Alec Owens makes her successful dance audition in Flashdance from 1983. A movie we'll be discussing at some point Absolutely. on this show. Love a girl named Alex. Oh, yeah. You and your... It's a thing, man. It's a thing. But yeah, I remember watching that scene. I'm like, why does this room look so familiar? Oh, completely. That's the first thought I had when I saw it. I was like, wait, is that the same hall yeah. where she did her audition? Yeah, I haven't seen that one in a while. Nope. The producers originally wanted Jim Carrey to play the role of Professor Turgeson, but he was later rejected as he was deemed too young for the part. And then I remember seeing the producer of the film was Chuck Russell. And I'm like, wait a second. Is that the guy who directed The Mask? And sure enough, oh, yeah. it's the same Chuck Russell and who stars in The Mask, but Jim Carrey. I'm putting those dots together. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. But here's my last uh, fact and trivia. So due to Rodney Dangerfield's contractual obligation with the Miller Brewing Company, as you mentioned earlier, he was doing the commercials for Miller Lite. Only Miller beer was allowed to be shown in certain scenes. Two of the main ones would be in the opening uh, party. Thornton goes to the refrigerator to grab a beer and it's a Miller beer. And then uh, the scene with Rodney's party at the dorm and the police or campus security show up and... Philip is there thinking they're going to break up the party, but nope, they're bringing in some Miller Lite to keep them well stocked. (laughs) That's a great moment. Yep. Here's a little fun fact. Diane's house in the movie is the same one as the one used for the Doyle house where Jamie Lee Curtis babysat in Halloween. Yeah, I got to watch that again then. I need to go. Yeah, I I didn't recognize it. See those houses back like side by side. Yeah. In a photo because it didn't jump out at me. No, it didn't at all. Maybe different color too. Yeah, or production design. This will be my last one. Just okay. the fact that this was one of two movies released in 1986 to feature the song Twist and Shout. The other movie was, once again, ladies and gentlemen, 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What are the chances? Two movies coming out the same week feature the same song. It just seems a little coincidental. Very bizarre. Too coincidental. All right. Well, that's it for fun facts and trivia. All right. So let's move on to box office. So Back to School was released on June 13th, 1986 on 1,605 screens. On an estimated budget of $11 million, it grossed $91.3 million domestically. It debuted number one at the box office, knocking Top Gun out of the top spot and holding off Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which also came out that week that we mentioned a couple of times. Back to School would only hold the top spot for that week, but would stay in the top 10 for another six weeks. And then would jump back into the top 10 for another three weeks in the late summer, coinciding with kids returning to school. Aha. Uh, moving on to reviews. When growing up in the mid 80s, we would watch at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch movie clips from upcoming releases. Their review of Back to School was unanimous. Two thumbs up. Both Gene and Roger thought it was a well-written script that played to Rodney's strengths with a genuine feeling of college life, which gave the movie's jokes a more grounded basis. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a tomato meter score of 86%, and it has an IMDb rating of 6.6. So Jason takes us to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions we have about back to school? I just hope I get the chance to call someone an obnoxious nouveau riche little fleeb. At some point in my life. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know, but I just love that when our guy, William Zapka, calls Jason Mellon a little fleeb. I just want to do it out of jest, like jest, like fun. I don't, and I'm not going to do it out of spite or hatred. I'm not going to call somebody a little fleeb. It'll just make me look like an idiot. I've got a couple other thoughts. Uh, what, do, what do you got for additional thoughts? I actually want to do a shout out to my mom yeah. because um, as I mentioned in the beginning, my mom uh, was a nurse for the city, you know, out of high school, she went to nursing school and nursing school was a two-year program and then she became a nurse. So, you know, after putting myself, my brother and sister through college, she actually went back to school. Excellent. To get her bachelor's. So see, you can go back at any time and finish your education. Shout out to mom. Hey mom. Excellent job. Thanks for all your hard work and service as a healthcare worker. That's great. So speaking of people that are older that end up going back to school, let's talk about the older person goes back to school movies. Okay. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. I'm going to list off a few and then uh, maybe you could name your favorite or maybe name one that I miss. Okay. But uh, this list does not include body swapping movies. Okay. So that makes sense because yes. in those movies, obviously, you know, the kids go into school, but now like the old person is possessing the body of the young kid. I'm not counting those. So we've got Hiding Out in 1987. Big fan of that one. Yeah. Billy Madison in 95. Okay. I'm a big fan of that one. That's a funny one. Never Been Kissed in 99. That was Drew okay. Barrymore. Yeah. And then, man, uh, one of the best of all time. Old School in 2003. Oh, yes. The Godfather. The House Bunny. Anna Ferris in 2008, okay. Larry Crown in 2011. That was Tom Hanks. I love this one. 21 Jump Street in 2012. 21 Jump Street with Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. Funny movie. Life of the Party in 2018. That was Melissa McCarthy. And then Night School, Kevin Hart in 2018. 
just to name a few. I'm sure I missed something in there, but no, good list. Uh, it's funny because after watching this, I was trying to think of, I was like, oh, why don't they kind of redo this formula? And I couldn't think of anything. And then you had the question, I'm like, oh yeah, there is a lot of these out there. More than I thought, actually. Yes. So my number one choice uh, would have to be old school. That movie just cracks me up. And I used to do a one-two punch of that and Road Trip and just watch those back-to-back over and over again. Sure. Numerous times. Love those. And then my, um, I guess my dark horse would be Hiding Out. I think I've mentioned that one on the, the podcast a couple of times um, with uh, John Cryer. Big fan of that one. I've, I've watched that one a ton too. And I do look forward to doing that one on the podcast at some time. Great stuff, man. Yeah, it's hard to go against old school that one's for some reason in my mind. You know how, like I was saying, I I package Ferris Bueller's and Back to School. I kind of package old school and Wedding Crashers, the Vince Vaughn. Oh yeah, duo Vince Vaughn double there. feature. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so old school is unassailable. It's um, it's just it's just an all time classic. But yeah, Billy Madison and then Twenty One Jump Street. I've watched Twenty One Jump Street more than a few times. That one gets me. But yeah, older person goes back to school. Cool. Okay. Um, so here's my first question for you, Jason. So what was your favorite elective class in college? Not from your major, but yeah, wow. elective class. In college, it was a um, it was like a social studies course. I believe the subject was minorities, crime within minorities, but uh it was it was a focus on that, I believe. It was very interesting had a great instructor and it was just something I was a little bit more interested in uh, studying. Not, I'm not sure if it was even that particular, it was even that specific, but I was uh, just a little bit more interested in the criminal justice system and how it works, I suppose. Not very interesting, I guess. How about you? Um, Mine would have been art appreciation. Those classes I liked, I literally still have the books from those and they're, they're new. I, I didn't get the underlined ones. I got the new one <laughs> because of this movie. I always try to buy new books. Yeah. Then I had one that was like the history of religions, which I thought was kind of fascinating because you learned all about the different religions and what they believed. And there were so many religions out there I didn't even know existed. Um, so that was kind of fun. So yeah, I would say those are my top two, the art appreciation and the, the history of religion. Good stuff, man. I remember I did take a course that dealt with, God, I can't even remember now. It was the, but uh all about the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. I don't know how I ended up taking that course. Wow, yeah. That was a random, another like kind of like a social studies type of course somehow. Uh, fascinating. Anywho, any other uh, fun additional thoughts or fun deep questions? Yes. Jason, Bill, have you ever made a sandwich where you scoop out the inside of the roll to fit in more food? No, and I want to immediately after seeing this movie. I was the exact same way. What a great idea. It's so stupid and awesome. It's like when I go to like get a meatball sandwich, I should tell them, scoop out the bread, put it on the side or whatever. Yeah, get a little more sauce in there, throw in some more meatballs. Yeah, because then you're, you know, then your roll doesn't break. Yeah, no, you create a little, let's a little bread canoe. Yeah, as soon as I was watching, I'm like, why have I never done that? I'm going to Subway and orders six inch turkey and cheese. You dig it out, make yep. a little room for some extra veggies and uh, I don't know, make it a foot long. I forgot to mention this earlier when you were talking about the um, Lou Jason scene. Yeah. This is a line that Lou has in there where he talks about his own kids. And he's like, yeah, I had two kids. And one of them I put through college, the other one I put through a wall. Right. That I'm nice, but I'm tough. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's like two back-to-back hilarious lines there in that moment that, like I said, you almost made me cry during. Thanks. <laughs> I, I feel kind of good about that. I guess I, I gave a good performance in that moment. All right. Uh, anything else for thoughts or questions? I don't think so, Bill Ban. All right. So let's move on to our rating. So Jason, on a scale of one to five triple Lindy's, what do you <laughs> give back to school? You know what? I'm giving it a solid four triple Lindy's, man. It's for... Dangerfield's comedy, charisma, and charm, the father-son relationship, Sally Kellerman's just so affable, just so warm, such a fun premise. This is an easy, breezy watch. I fully recommend it. I have four triple indies myself. And the selling point is, yeah, it's Rodney Dangerfield. They touched on it in Caddyshack on how to use him, but here they got it 100% right. And um, if you're a fan of Rodney Dangerfield, this is the movie to watch. This is Rodney Dangerfield on the screen for 96 minutes. Yes. It's it's a must watch. It's funny. It's still funny. Like I said, it holds a special place in my heart. Even outside of that, it's a lot of fun. Very cool. All right. So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode and our back to back to school miniseries. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please take the time to subscribe. Give us a review and rate us. Those subscribes and reviews really help us to continue producing this show. If you want to reach out, you can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, movies you want us to cover, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook Meta at All 80s Movies Podcast or tweet us at Podcast All 80s. All right, so our next episode, we're going to take a little break. But when we come back, we will be discussing the 1984 space comedy, The Ice Pirates, starring Robert Urich, Mary Crosby, and Michael D. Roberts. We hope you join us again. Have a totally great week, everyone. Waiter, uh, can you bring us a pitcher of beer every seven minutes until somebody passes out? And then bring one every ten minutes. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. <laughs>